Hello and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast, where we seek to inspire and equip you to move your parish from maintenance to mission. My name is Dan O'Rourke, and I've got two awesome friends in studio today. It's good to see you, Rob. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to be here. Uh, You don't get to be on the podcast all that often, but we do get to hang out a lot. And so I'm always excited when we get to catch up and and to do so with a microphone in front of you. Yes. It's it's, it's always fun that way. And Father James, you're along with us today. It's good to see you. It's good to be back, Dan. Thank you. Excellent. So look, I got a confession. I'm going to start off with with a confession. This uh, this season I'm in, personal season I'm in, I'm finding my energy is a little lower than normal. Uh, and, And, you know, even the time of day that we're recording, my energy is just a little more lower than normal. But I have a question for you, Father James. There's, um, as a pastor, when you were pastoring, when you were leading a church, uh, managing your energy reserves, how did you do that? And what, what, like, what did it look like when you're in that role? Well, I can relate to that question, especially uh, this time of year. We're in winter in Canada, and uh, for most people in the world know that Canada in winter means a lot of white stuff, a lot of cold. And it's just generally a, a kind of a, a time of year where naturally, physically, we're, we can be a bit down because mm. there's less light. Uh, and but also in the seasons of, of life and ministry, there are always ups and downs. And I, I like really to distinguish, although there, there are crossovers, we can talk about energy. Uh, but I, I think, you know, in the life of ministry and leadership, a particular kind of energy, which is really a spiritual energy, uh, is passion, a particular kind of passion, you know, because uh, there's energy to do the the you know, the day-to-day functioning of ministry, and some things are more energizing than, than, than others, but to lead, to lead a, a church to a particular place, that takes an extra special kick. That takes a particular kind of passion, which the ultimate source of that passion is, is the Holy Spirit. You know, St. Paul writes to Timothy, uh, fan into flame the Spirit of God that you receive through the laying on of hands. So that, that gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit who, who is the fire in our hearts, that needs to be fanned into flame. That needs to be re reawakened. And I find that in the in my own life in ministry and the life and ministry of some of the pastors we work with, that passion can can sometimes come and go, come and go. And it's a it's a critical question because as leaders, our passion level uh, really impacts the the passion of people around us. Right. And so when you when it goes from you, it, it, everyone feels it, right? Absolutely, they do. And so it's very important for a leader to know what what fills you and what drains you. And there's nothing wrong with maybe from time to time doing the things that that, that drain us, but we've got to know what they are. And, and recently, in one of our pastor cohorts, we actually asked the the priest that question: uh, What in the last month? What what has what has drained your passion? And the last month, what has filled your your passion? Um, and and how do you? What are the warning signs when your passion is running low? You know, when you get a car, you get the you get the low fuel sign. How what, how do you know? And, and what do you do to refuel? I think that's a critical question for a leader. Well, and I think too, we have to recognize that we all start at different places with energy and passion. I think some people are a little bit more naturally passion than others, and things like mm. that. And so you have to recognize that. A, energy is something I think you have to steward and recognize, but you also have a responsibility to put yourself in a place, the old expression, to fill your passion buckets as well. So mm. I think there's kind of a kind of a, a, a both and in that. It's like, what am I Absolutely. doing to make sure that I'm, you know, performing at peak performance to the best of my ability, understanding Absolutely. how you're wired and understanding your strength. But, you know, some people just are more energetic than others. Yeah. You know, I remember hearing a leader one time, <clears throat> Led, led a huge church, um, really high-profile leader, 
And he came out and he said, you know, I have to lead in a different way than most people because I'm naturally a low energy, uh, low energy person, you know, and, you know, he was, he, uh, he was introverted. He wasn't, you know, he, he didn't like win a room as soon as he walked mm. in. He had a very limited amount of energy and yet he led this massive ministry yeah. and led it well. And, you know, he's written books on leadership and things like that. And so just a, his honesty to admit, I'm not a high energy person. Like a lot of people in leadership would, that would be hard for them to even admit it. Yeah. Let alone. To- well, we've got, we've got in, in our own, uh, the, parishes that we're coaching i know this i've met most in fact probably all of the of the priests that that we're connected with and there are some guys there that are like high energy high passion guys and then there's other guys who i would not say are well that that's not really a high energy high passion guy but i think perhaps the better way to, to, to understand it isn't that his passion isn't there it's just that it manifests differently it doesn't show his outward explosion that's of energy right. i right. mean because if you're being coached by us you've got to be passionate <laughs> yeah, otherwise you're not showing up i mean i i know priests that they're they're if you took the emotional pulse it's it's a pretty steady thing and it's not on the high range uh but man you 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 push a certain button boom you you feel yeah. the passion the passion is there it's the it's like the engine that that's burning and that's why it's not a total correlation passion is not necessarily emotional energy per se it's a it's a form of that but it's something more foundational because it's rooted in your your ability to be to be excited about what can be yeah uh, it's related to hope it's related to supernatural imagination uh and but if those things go then there's a real danger and and particularly um well i can only speak for for, for myself but i know that when when my passion begins to to run low I, I can become easily discouraged i can become i become kind of irritated things start getting on my nerves and and uh and it's crazy as it sounds, and I hope I don't shock anyone, but there's, because I do believe that if we're leading into mission, we're, the, remember, this is not just against uh, flesh and blood that we're fighting. We're not just dealing with human realities. There is a spiritual warfare. And and I know that for myself, when when, when passion is, is drained from me, um, I, I can, I can have thoughts like, like, wow, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to quit. <laughs> Forget this. I'm going to become a plumber or something. You know, it's, uh, you know, so I think you've got to, you've got to know and, and you've got to be aware and what actually, what fills you. I know for me, I, recently I've been doing a lot of traveling because uh, I've been doing visits to rural parishes and spending quite a bit of time in the car. It's given me a chance to ca- get caught up in some some podcasts. Mm-hmm. And, what podcast have you been listening to? <laughs> well, uh, one of them is uh, something called the Divine Renovation Podcast. Oh, really? That's a good one. <laughs> it's a good one. I think I've heard it. Which is, <laughs> you recommend it? I, I do, I do. Okay. In fact, it's, it's kind of strange because ever since we started doing video podcasts, I think pretty m- most of the episodes that I've watched, I've watched on video and, of course, in the car, um, I, I, I watched the audio version and you I watched I, the I audio watch, version I listened, <laughs> listened to the audio version. And so it was I like, have yeah. driven with them before that could, that could be a thing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. But it, there, there are two very different ways to experience it. And I have to say that the audio was, was just as engaging and I really, really enjoyed it. But the other podcast I listened to is and just, just for clarity, cause I don't want everyone to think that, that you're, you're driving around listening to yourself talk, but you're, because you don't appear on many of our podcasts, yeah. there's all sorts yeah, of ones so that you listen to. That I you actually wanna... love Yeah. All the, the podcasts where I'm, I'm not in on the discussion mm-hmm. and I, I learned so much. I was like, man, that was fantastic. There's I, some cool I, I learn and I get, I get, I get impassioned. I'm in my car and I'm all of a sudden my, my passion bucket is being filled. I'm like, 
ah, I'm getting excited again. And I'm, I'm starting to dream and, and, and think about what can be. And, and that's a real hallmark. One of the, one of the priests recently said for a marker for him when his passion is low is that he's, he stops having ideas. Whereas when he's passionate, he has all kinds of ideas about this mm-hmm. and this. And it's not that, you know, they're all good ideas that yeah. he should act or he should act on them. But the yeah. fact that it's generating ideas. <clears throat> he goes there. So I, yeah. I, I also listen to the Carrie Newhoff leadership podcast. That's I find yeah, Carrie's is great. Fantastic podcast. And Carrie has been, he's been a speaker at the, he was a speaker at the divine renovation 18 conference. And I just, I'm so inspired uh, by so many of the leaders that come on that. Because one of the things that inspires me is when I hear about people who are doing great things. Mm. That that excites me. Mm. It makes me, it just inspires me so much. And so I, I've been reminded of that again, of how important that is for me, whether it's to hear other people, whether it's podcasts or to go to a conference and hear amazing speakers and to be continually be challenged outside of my box. Mm. That's, that's something that really fills my passion bucket. Rob, if I was one of, cause you coach a number of, of divine renovation parishes. And if I was one of your, your either a, a pastor or if I was on one of those senior leadership teams and I'm saying, Rob, my passion's low right now. What, what kind of, how would you coach me out of that? What would you do for me? I think for me, the first question I'd ask is who you spend the most time with, mm. you know, cause you know, like podcast, that sort of thing. Like I have learner, and input in my top five, so I, I can get jazzed by listening to people. But really, who are who are you surrendering, uh, surrounding yourself with? Because ultimately, you know, we feed off each other emotionally. Yeah. And so, if you're always dealing with negative people, critical people, you know, things like that, then who you know, you need to put yourself in place uh, where you're around people that lift you up and, and build into you. Like I remember years ago, at times recognizing in my own life my passion for evangelization was low and just, and, and I became self-aware of it. And the, the most uh, amazing evangelist I know is a guy by the name of John. I just get on the phone and start talking to John and say, tell me like this was this, this guy was like kind of old school knocked on doors, uh, you know, and, and started just talking to people <laughs> about Jesus and probably the most effective one I know. And so I just call him up and, and say, um, hey, John, tell me about sharing your faith with people. Who are you having conversations with? And he'd tell me the victories, and he'd tell me the struggles and things like that. And just at the end of that conversation, I'd be like, I'd, I'd be much more engaged around it. So, mm. you know, the, the what's the, I don't know, there's different ways of explaining it, but they talk about the five closest people to you, you're going to reflect their values in your life, right? And so you have to be very, you know, very careful who are the, the people that you mm. surround yourself with. Because it, you feed off of them, you know. I, I think that's such a key question, especially for for pastors trying to move from maintenance to mission. Because maintenance, uh, if it's truly maintenance, as opposed to just managing uh, a kind of de- decline, but but every, everything has a you have to overcome an initial inertia, and it takes. You, you talk about passion. You need passion to to get the thing moving. And in parishes, especially if you've come into a parish. Uh, you often in, inherit staff members. What happens when the staff that are are your your closest collaborators, or even if you're in a small church with that doesn't have a lot of staff, who are the key people you're working with? If they tend to be quite negative in all of these things, then they're they're going to drain you. They're really going to drain, and that's why it's, it's it's so essential when you're building a staff team to to really get people who get the vision. And remember, vision is about passion. Yep. Vision isn't about intellectual agreement with with uh, an imagined f- future. It's like, yeah, 
I get I get jazz for that. I get so excited about, mm. and I'm, I'm I, I get on fire for that. So you're you're looking for passionate people. Yeah, and and quite often we speak into that, you know, uh, speak to the chemistry thing, right? Because the, the chemistry that you have with the people around you, you want people that aren't yes people that are going to challenge you, mm. but you still want that chemistry there with people that you know you're going to connect with them. Yeah, because again that that enjoyment of being around other people, that joy is going to be a source of your passion. So Father James, let me ask you this, because I know you you travel a bit and you, in your various roles and the things that you do. You're often visiting other parishes. And I've got to believe, i got to believe, there's a difference between the the, the, the culture of, of, of that we're talking about, the culture of St. Benedict Parish versus some of these other parishes, and sort of the, the presumption that, that around that passion and that, that, that level of interest that even the staff team would have. Is that is that your experience? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, we need to remember, too, that the, the, the culture that formed at St. Benedict Parish took place over many, many years. And But again, it's the nature of culture is that it's it eventually becomes invisible to you. It's what you take for granted. And when you do have a culture of evangelization and discipleship, and that's not to say that it, a place where there's such a culture that it means that we're doing everything perfectly well or there's no room for improvement. It's not to say that at all. It just means that that these things have somehow become normalized, um, that that that's actually an enormous piece. And in my travels, um, I, I've just, I, I've, I've, I've come to, to be re-reminded of how essential that is because if you do have that culture, you take it for granted. And it's not until you're out somewhere else that you realize, oh my goodness, that that is not taken for granted here. In fact, it's not even on the radar. Mm-hmm. And that is the challenge in many Catholic churches, so many mainline churches. So help me understand. Well, if it, mission, I mean, we talk about from a maintenance church to a missionary church or a missional church. It means that you've, you've seized, you've owned the mission. Your mission is the primary driver in your identity as, as a, as a church. But the primary question for most Catholic parishes, many mainline parishes, not how do we do mission and what's the best way to do it? Or even why should we do it? I mean, we're not even in many places there yet. It's, there's not even an awareness that we, that we ought to do it or that there even is a mission. It's not even, it doesn't begin to be a relevant question because the, the, the culture, because it's maintenance, the number one presumption is all of this exists for the sake of the sheep. It's for us. Mm. It's for us. And if others want to join us, okay, fine. But that's not at all the relevant question. The relevant question is is generally, how do we do a better job of making this about us? That's it. So, so not how should we do mission or why we should do mission. It's like, mission, what are you talking about? That's where most people are at. So shouldn't a priest, though, be focused on, on getting things right in, in, in among his sheep before he focuses on, on looking outside? Well, sure, but you'll... You know, a thousand years later, you'll still be trying to get it, get it right. I mean, here's the thing. Imagine if you've said that to the apostles in the upper room. Shouldn't you get focused on getting things right first before you do mission? No. You, you, the Holy Spirit fell, and you, you go where the Spirit moves you to go. And these imperfect men and women went and fulfilled the mission of the church. You're never going to, if you, you know, this idea of let's wait and get, and get somehow everything, get, to get our act together first, you'll never get going. Well, I think there's a presumption around that that you have to be a disciple to reach people rather than reaching people and becoming a disciple in the process of doing it. Right. Like there's, there's okay, a, say that again, slower for me. I, I want to catch up with you. There. There's this idea that there's this level of discipleship 
that you have to achieve. I have to be whatever that level is, whether it's Christian enough. Yeah, whether it's defined in your mind some way or your your church defined. And I've heard- rather than rather than saying you become a disciple by reaching out. Or more of it, you grow in your discipleship. You grow in it, yeah. I mean, there's the thing. That's why the term missionary disciple is, is such a is such a great term. But I remember a year and a half ago going to a, a particular diocese in the U.S. to speak uh, to the to the leadership, and the I was given the the uh, pastoral letter written by the bishop, and it was a great letter. Except I came to one point in the letter, I was on the plane and I read it, and it was like ah. Oh. And he basically said something like this. The, We've got a primary goal is to work to make people disciples. And then some people, uh, if they mature enough in their discipleship, will be able to become missionary disciples. I was like, oh, man. I mean, our best mission. There'll be a few exceptions to the rule, <laughs> and they'll actually be able to, to have it happen. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, our best missionary disciples are people who had a conversion last week in Alpha. I mean, they've, they've, they've been, they met Jesus the week before and they're already telling everyone about it. They're inviting 10 people to the Alpha Set Celebration Night. They're, they're on fire and, and, and they're yet, they're, they're newborns. They've got a lot of growth still to experience. I mean, it's a, it's a lifelong thing, but they've got a, they're very, very immature and yet their, their, their missionary zeal is high. So it's simultaneous. If you're authentically a disciple, you will be, if, if you are authentic disciple, you will, by definition, be a missionary disciple. So there's all sorts of roles inside of a parish. And, and of course, one of the more critical ones are the person that, that tends to be the face and, and uh, voice of the parish. And so today we're bringing on uh, Darlene Bonang from, from St. Benedict Parish. And we're going to be, we're going to pause just briefly. I want to bring her on because she is, in many respects, the, uh, the person who you're most likely to encounter if you show up at St. Benedict Parish anywhere between Monday and Friday. So we'll be right back with Darlene. Welcome back. And one of the most important and critical roles inside of a parish is the person who interfaces most with the public from the office side. And Darlene, you are that person at St. Benedict Parish. So thank you so much for joining us today and being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Dan. So you you do have a critical role at, at St. Benedict Parish. And I don't, I don't even know how to dive into it because there's so many things that you do, and I'm excited to talk about all of them. But help me understand how you ended up in that role. How did this come together? Because you would have been, was it Father James? Well, you were pastor mm-hmm. there that Darlene yes, came along? Was. Yes. Uh, actually, uh, when I was uh, looking for a new uh, career opportunity, <laughs> I uh, came upon this unique opportunity to serve with Father James at St. Benedict Parish. And the role, I believe, was advertised uh, as secretary, if I'm not secretary mistaken. Secretary receptionist. Receptionist. Yeah. Uh, but I really had to read through the list of responsibilities and roles, knowing a little bit about Father James and his background, and was intrigued with uh, this new parish that was an amalgamation yep. of three former parishes in the uh, Halifax area, and decided to you know send in my my resume and cover letter and see where it would take me. And um, it certainly has been a very enjoyable and uh, ride, and it's it's been fun ever so, since. So not the first not day. every parish um, has staff, but often if they do have staff, yes. right. so the one that they're most likely, yeah. in my experience, the one they're most likely mm-hmm. to have is a secretary even, reception. Even small rural parishes have at least a, a part time secretary, and that person may do everything from being a receptionist to doing the books, uh, doing all the administrative tasks. Basically, is the the person is the administrative. Hub. And certainly, right. when we, before you came, the, the, you know, we Kate was the 
parish secretary. And as we were growing and the activities were growing and when it became obvious, we had to be much more intentional about communications because she was trying to do both. She was, Mm -hmm. she was trying to do all of the, the kind of admin communications things and things that had been done before, uh, under, under, under the previous leadership, but the, the life of the parish was exploding and she felt herself being torn in two because it was an expectation that she interface with phone calls. And sometimes you could have like three, four, we could have three lines ringing right. and a lineup of people at your front desk. And oh, by the way, when are you going to finish that report and get all that and, stuff done? And when, you know, when she needed to be responsible for the bulletin, yeah, which yeah, at that time exactly. was just an enormous time hog. So right? and, yeah. We got to the point where it was obvious we needed to split the position. And so we moved Kate over to being director mm-hmm. of communications and that created this new position right. where we were going to take all of that out and make it primarily about being an interface with people. Right. Which is really Which is a great idea. To me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I love people and that's where I get my energy. Uh, but it can also be very draining when you're interacting with people um, all the time. You know, and you're responding to email and eventually I think I had to ask if I could have a headset so I looked like the typical uh, operator so that I could, you know, be on the computer at the same time as I was answering the telephone and perhaps people are coming at the desk. And so it's really busy and it's, you know, demanding of your time and it does burn you out. And so I needed to, you know, uh, sort of assess how that was going to work and it took a few months you know, of sort of getting in there and situated and understanding what the important roles were. Um, But I've always been a people person, so I certainly didn't want to shy away from that role. And that is where I, you know, get my strength. So help me understand this. Your job at at St. Benedict Parish, it's not just a job, it's also a ministry. Absolutely. How do you approach it? Like, what what does that look like for you? Oh, for me, it's certainly meeting everybody that comes in the office or communicates with us where they are. And I love to have a conversation with people to find out, you know, where they are on their faith journey, if anywhere. Perhaps it's a cold call and it's just from a family who's looking to have a child baptized and they've never had really much uh, faith involvement, but here they find themselves with a beautiful baby and it's what they know to be the reality. That's what we do. You know, we're Catholic, so I guess we're going to have this child baptized But for me, it's so important then to have a good conversation with them and accompany them on the journey. And it's always something to kind of uh, be cautious of because you don't want to turn somebody away um, in that initial conversation. But if they have no faith practice at this time, then baptism isn't the one place that we want to you know, start them. We want to journey with them. We want to welcome them to the parish of St. Benedict and welcome them back to Mass. So if you're telling me, I call you up and yes. you don't recognize me, I'm new, I'm, I, I, you've never heard from me before, Darlene, this guy named Dan calls up and says, I got a kid, newborn, I'd love for them to, to, to swing by next week and get them baptized. Right. You're going to say no? I'm not going to say no that way. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to tell I'm me, gonna, Darlene? I'm going to uh, congratulate you on the birth of well, your child. You. You're welcome. Thank you. And I'm going to say how excited we are that you have come to St. Benedict and that you're looking to uh, have your child baptized as part of our faith community that you sh- will be sharing in. And then I'm going to ask you if you have attended Mass lately at St. Benedict or, you know, did you... Uh, attend in the past with your family at one of the former parishes. 
um, get a little feeling for where your family's at. So we are so blessed at St. Benedict because we have so many beautiful people uh, serving in ministry that I will happily invite you to come to any of the weekend masses and to come to the Welcome Center where you will be greeted and you will be welcomed. And I'll ask you to identify yourself, you know, to them. Let them know that you're new. And I know that they're going to be loving you and welcoming you and they will gather some information about you. And they'll also gather the fact that you're looking for baptism for your child. And then we will hopefully be able to identify next steps for you, Mm. which will eventually, you know, mean that you will attend baptism preparation, but that won't be for a while, but not in a discouraging way, you know? Now, Father James, can I ask you a question? Is that the normal way that a a Catholic church would behave? That, you know, when if I call for for baptism, that I'm being directed to the Welcome Center? And like, what what is... Probably not, but I mean, there's lots of different approaches. You know, I, I think one of the things that, you know, we wanted when we, I remember when we did the interview, Darlene, I mean, I remember asking mm-hmm. questions about your understanding of evangelization and mission, because principally we wanted to have someone who was, who was on board with, 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 with our vision. And part of our vision around sacraments was that we should, and I, I said this in, in, in the original book, we should never say no Mm-hmm. Uh, however, a response should be, let's help you get ready. Oh. And and that can mean a lot of different things. And we can't help the fact that some people might hear the let's help you get ready as 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 a no, because they're looking for sacraments on demand, you know. But I, I think that many parishes don't have an intentional process. At best, it would be the, the response would, would either be on the one hand, uh, the baptismal classes start on Wednesday, February the 10th. Uh, uh, so you just show, show up. I'll, I'll take your name and you show up for three classes and then you get your baby baptized. You might get that or you might, on the other hand, get interrogated in a right. not so gentle way. Mm-hmm. I mean, you asked a few questions, but you might get, do you live in the parish boundaries? Are you a registered parishioner? <laughs> and if you're not, then then don't call us back. Like you might you might kind of get that kind of response, which wow. is which is uh, really, it's just, don't do that. It's, it's horrible. Yeah, <laughs> don't it's do horrible. that. Well, I much preferred your response, darling. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. <laughs> well, I'd be curious to know, when, when you came to St. Benedict, you were just hearing about all that was going on, things like that. So mm-hmm. as they laid that process out and how that was probably different for you, was that uh, an encouraging thing or was that something that like excited you or is that something that seemed intimidating at the beginning to kind of have that approach uh, to the job? I, I think a little bit of both, honestly, Rob. Uh, excited, yes, absolutely. And I totally buy into why we do that because I interact with many different people and have for some time in you know the, my church and always realizing that we're all at different places, right, in our faith journey and knowing that you have to meet people there. So, But is it intimidating? A little bit. Because people very much do come with the expectation of the church is going to provide this for me, and I'm asking for baptism, and they're going to say yes. Mm. And sometimes it is it does take people by a little bit of surprise when you're not just giving them the the form to fill out, and here's the time to st- show up. So earlier earlier in this very podcast, Father James talked about trying to like you know creating culture and and, and being invitational. Uh, and what I, what I picked up in, in your response uh, when I when I playfully asked you to baptize my kid, uh, what I picked up was you invited me to, to mass. Is that something you're doing intentionally? Like is that is that one of the elements uh, that you're preaching you're approaching your job with? Absolutely, 
always inviting you to something, whatever that next step is, you know, and for if people are, you know, identifying that they've been away for a while or they don't really have a strong connection, then I'm trying to determine, you know, where I think I could invite you to. Perhaps it's to Alpha before I even invite you to Mass. Darlene, in the last couple of years, how many people roughly would you say you've invited to Alpha from that front desk? (laughs) Probably close to at least 100, I would say. Yeah, that's great. I think. (laughs) It's, yeah, and, you know, for the most part, um, it's always a good reaction, even if they're not really sold on what Alpha is and are going to come, but they're not rude. You know, they're just open to whatever comes next. And I don't think I'm too intimidating looking, so I'm not going <laughs> to. Well, I'd love to uh, know how many times, cause you know, the conversations would always be happening and I'd be walking in, you know, in and out of the office. And so I'd love to have a dollar every time I heard, have you ever heard tell of alpha? <laughs> and about that time you'd see an arm go over and grab an invitation, right? And uh, you know, she'd keep eye contact on him as she was reaching over and grabbing, you know, and, uh, but yeah, it was just commonplace to see her or every once in a while, um, you know, my office across the hallway when, when I was there and, uh, and you and Darlene used to work together clo- closely together, yes, right? We were on the same team together yeah. when I was there and, uh, she'd come over and say, and just say, yeah, I invited them to Alpha and they seemed receptive or yeah, I invited them to Alpha and they didn't seem receptive, you know, so it was, right. it was quite <laughs> often that that, you know, but even in that, the, the ask was the victory, which is one of the things mm. that we, we promote. It's mm-hmm. the success is just in asking yes. people whether yeah. they come or not. Yeah. And so it was always neat to see her joy uh, when she did it, regardless of the outcome. What mm-hmm. I love is that you, because you're, you're, you're on the front line, like you, you've got that, that, that beautiful opportunity to, to be asking and to be inviting with, with, with regularity. And then, so I, and I think from where I sit, that seems like uh, what, what a beautiful opportunity. And if the, if, if you weren't you, if, if you didn't lean in that mm-hmm. way, if you, if you didn't invite, what a lost opportunity, Absolutely. right? Like the, the inverse of, of, of a Darlene is, is terrifying to me that yeah. that would be a hundred people not invited to alpha that were looking for something. And yet in many ways, you'd be surprised at how often in the world of the church, do you have someone in your position, like on, on the mm-hmm. front line? I mean, there's who's maybe not the most gifted with people. And yet they're in that job, which is really bizarre. And in one sense, it is because there's a dual responsibility for mm-hmm. most secretaries. One is there's the, the bunch of tasks, organizational things you've got to get done. And then there's people. And right. most people are either more gifted in, in, in tasks or, 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 or with people. It's rare to have people who's really skilled in both, mm-hmm. um, like some, someone oh. like, like yourself. And, and there's, you know, to get these tasks done, if you're constantly interrupted, it's it, I know for me, uh, when I'm trying to get stuff done, if I'm interrupted, I, I start, I become cranky and, and then I'd end up getting frustrated. You see uh, these, these phone calls as intrusions in my real work. And we worked very hard from the beginning to, to try to say, no, your real work is, is, is handle is responding to people. And outside of that, if you can get some other work done, great. I mean, that's at least mm-hmm. how we started. Now, let, let me ask you, uh, how did you, that, that was the ideal that, that was we, the that idea. we began with. Mm-hmm. How did that work out? <laughs> Well, it was a bit of a learning curve. And like I say, it took probably about three months before I kind of got situated and understood some of the rhythms and things. Uh, And the rhythm at St. Benedict is just fast. It's fast paced and there's always more and more and more to do. And there's, uh, like I say, it was an amalgamation of three parishes. So it's almost like you've multiplied the administrative workload by three, which I'd never worked in a parish office before. So I didn't understand even what that volume would be. Um, the fact that 
we're baptizing great numbers of children means that there's a lot of paperwork that goes along with that. And, you know, and that's wonderful. Uh, but I soon realized uh, that I did need, like, I need a little bit of downtime, a little time to unplug myself from people. And trying to have lunch in the staff room was even a challenge. And, you know, if you have 10 interruptions or even five interruptions during your lunch hour, but you have to be ready to receive people the way you've received every other person that day, mm-hmm. which is top of your game, hopefully. Um, that wasn't working out so well. Yeah. And I was feeling burnout and I was feeling a little bit agitated. And, you know, I didn't want to feel that way, but that was the reality. Mm-hmm. So I soon identified, okay, this is not going to be sustainable for me. I might be in this for a real short term or I need to figure out what I can do. Right. So, so darling, uh, as you know, we, we, we film these podcasts, we record yes. these podcasts uh, during business hours. So I assume before you, you came to the studio, you shut down the office. Is that right? No, <laughs> we don't shut down. <laughs> we don't close for uh, lunch hours. We don't close for Darlene's illnesses or vacations. Um, and we certainly didn't shut down this afternoon. So what did you do? Well, I have a wonderful team of volunteers that I can call on who I've invested in. I've trained. Um, they came willingly, like no one's there under duress. I don't make anybody (laughs) sit at the desk, Um, you know, and I don't look to other staff members most of the time and say, could you just like, you know, hang out? Because that's not necessarily what they are being, uh, where their strength is or what they can offer to St. Benedict Parish. So uh, today I have one of my volunteers, Marie, who's, I call her my Friday girl. And she comes in every Friday and gives me a couple hours of her time. And today she was generous enough to give me a whole afternoon so that I could be here. See, that's uh, that, that's got to be a shift. I, I can't believe that's right. necessarily the norm at, at Catholic mm-hmm. churches, where, where you know, Darlene, where you have like uh, all these people that are that you've you've formed and, right. and invested in in order to 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 create that sort of I think it, support network power. and support. Yeah. And it wasn't immediate when 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 you came on board, mm-hmm. but within a, a year or two after that, we really came to a realization that the the leadership culture we were trying to get going, we were trying to have amongst our parishioners and, and some staff, we, we were kind of slow about, about this to realize that even in the so-called administrative roles, we need to embrace that same leadership model and, and the fact that no staff member should just be a doer, even if a lot of your work is to do tasks. Mm-hmm. And that even went to the janitorial work. I mean, you're going to work with teams of people. You're going to work with committees. You're going to be, even that role is going to be about raising up others. And and we really then began to shift and speak about Darlene as office manager Mm -hmm. and really say, okay, yeah, you're going to, you're going to create, you're going to set the culture for this front desk, but we want you actually to be not just finding people to help you do your job and plug holes, but we want you to, to raise up people uh, as well. Exactly. And sometimes that's, you know, uh, it takes some time, right? You have to get to know people. You have to build trust with them. Um, You have to give them good direction as to what is expected when they're going to be at the at the front desk and to help them be comfortable with the answers that they're going to be asked to Mm -hmm. give. And for some people, uh, it takes investment, a little bit more investment than others, of course. Um, And you have to truly believe in your people that you know that they're going to be well equipped mm. to sit in that position and to be able to respond the way that you hope will be represented 
representative of, of that office. When I first, uh, when, when Divine Renovation first started working out of St. Benedict Parish, I can remember how shocked I was that there was always someone at the front desk and I didn't know who the heck they were. And I'm like, who are all these people? It's like, so I can, I can, I can just imagine like, you know, the, the, the people who are listening that, that uh, are, you know, from whatever parish you happen to be from to, to, to realize that no, no, like the culture of leadership extends everywhere inside of a parish that, that the opportunity extends everywhere and to raise people up and give them space to, to, to embrace ministry and to, and to play important roles that, that, that happens all over the place. And it gets me excited just to think about all the, all, I, I loved when I didn't know who was at the front desk. I'm going, oh, my name's Dan. And, uh, you know, going through having that awkward hello conversation, especially in that first uh, month or so. I absolutely. Was and when the divine renovation ministry became part of the office, uh, you know, I was trying my best to uh, tell the volunteers, you know, there's new staff people here and you'll, rec- you know, you'll meet them and whatnot, whatnot. But we didn't always get a chance for the formal introduction. Yeah, so right. they would say, well, it would be great if you could tell me, like, if there were three new people coming through because I stopped them and I don't know that they work here now. You know, <laughs> it was just a lot of fun. But they, they too, you know, totally enjoy what they do. And I've had so many of them thank me over and over again for the opportunity to be able to serve their parish in some way that they feel called. Well, how did you identify them, Darlene? How how are you finding people to to help invest in and to to raise up? We do have something at St. Benedict called St. BP Serve, uh, but we didn't always, right? And so uh, originally it was a small, perhaps, interaction that I had with somebody and I felt that they, you know, were people, people, people. We'll call it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if they would have a little conversation with me, maybe I would determine, okay, perhaps they might like to spend some time in the office or, you know, they've indicated that if they could be helpful in any way, they'd welcome that. So I'd get their contact information and then set up a time where I could spend a a few minutes with them, you know, on -on one-on-one. But you don't want to have the wrong type of person Mm -hmm. at the front desk. Mm -hmm. And so I have learned perhaps, you know, in a, in an awkward way sometimes, um, don't, don't promise anyone anything until you know what their skills and what their strengths are. Mm. Cause they could be very, or they could see themselves as being very good with people skills and perhaps on the telephone they are, but maybe in person, that's not oh, the case. Yeah. So you have to have a balance. Well, there's two things that she does really well. First off is that she has, has the task broken down. So this is, so she doesn't overwhelm people. So mm-hmm. when they first start, this is what you do. And she just has kind of the base level and then builds on it. That's right. But then also she does a great job of understanding the different people's strengths and what they're good at uh, as well. And I know we'd have different times we'd have conversations yes. of uh, the, the different ways that, that people uh, were stronger in some areas. Absolutely. And, and you help kind of develop the team in different areas that way as well. For sure. To, yeah. to help um, them identify where I saw their strengths and, and then perhaps choose tasks accordingly, right? So that not everyone is doing all the same thing. Yes, they're doing reception, and that's the major, you know, component. However, I've got some folks who have come from a, an administrative background, very strong analytical skills or, or detail-oriented. So I can help choose tasks for them where they're going to feel fed, you know. And then for other people, uh, they're not... They don't even want to use the computer. I have people who sit at the front desk who don't use the computer, and that's perfectly okay, providing that there's going to be other people after them who can, yeah. you know, fill in. Yeah. 
So one of the things I was picking up, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong, darling, but one of the things I was picking up is that sometimes you've brought in people that are like, you know what, this person's actually not the right fit. Have you ever had to have a conversation with someone that, that was like that? Yes, yes, <laughs> I have. <laughs> and it's, it's really, you know, as you can imagine, it's awkward, um, but it's amazing how as much as I might have stressed over that particular conversation, uh, they were also stressing over the fact that they didn't feel comfortable in that role. And, you know, sitting down and just having a real good, honest conversation, you know, um, they were saying, you know, it, I don't think that I'm suited for this position. And I, I've never had to fire a volunteer ever. But we sat and discussed, well, what roles would you like to um, serve in? And it's funny because they've transitioned into other teams mm. That's those good. very people. So they were not turned off at all by the conversation or by the fact that I was asking them maybe, you know, perhaps this isn't the, the best place for you to serve. Well, I, I love the fact, you know, of how you've been able to incorporate all of these key values of divine re- renovation right into your, mm-hmm. your own ministry. It's very easy, in a, especially in a busy parish like this, to see uh, possible volunteers as simply people to, that are going to help you get stuff done. And and trust me, I remember at times coming out of my office when I, when I was pastor and, and I need to ask you a question. I come around the corner and you literally have, you got a, you got, you're talking the phone, you've got a lineup of five people deep. There's another staff member waiting to talk to you. And it's like, oh, okay, I'll come back in an hour. I'll come back in an hour is the same thing. So when you see that kind of you being overloaded in this way, uh, it, you know, great. We've got, we, we've got more help, but, but really to, to, to really see your, your role as not just, you know, responsible for getting stuff done, which is, which is true, Absolutely. Uh, but responsible for raising up others. And I, I don't think even if it was a small parish and if there's anyone listening and you're in, in, in a small parish, you might say, well, we don't have to raise up others like that because we're not so busy. One person can do it. I, I would say that, that the principle is still the same. Are we, we're not here just to use people to get stuff done. We're here to raise up people. Absolutely. So you're going to be in a small parish and it's still a great idea to actually find people and affirm their giftedness and equip them. Absolutely. Mm. And also to allow the person who's at the front desk, even if they are the only other person in the office, to allow them to experience um, their other gifts a little bit more. And perhaps one of their gifts might be evangelizing. Yeah. But have if they don't have the opportunity to do that, you know, perhaps those phone calls when they come in and if it's a baptism inquiry, uh, it could lead to a 20 minute conversation where you can actually be inviting somebody into a journey with you. But if you don't have someone who's going to be able to input the data that needs to be input and, you know, do the letter for father, then you're stressed and you're, you're always, uh, there's a tension there. You just want to get off the phone. Right. And that's not, that's not really where we want to be. I got to imagine uh, being on the front lines as as you are and being and having lineups of people, phone calls from people. You must have get some odd requests sometimes. Is that do you get odd things like things you're like, I can't, Rob, I can't believe the conversation I had to have today. Has that ever happened? <laughs> we we have some interesting inquiries for sure. <laughs> yeah, there's there's some uh, ones where you know there've been some delicate topics even where people. Um, come in and they're obviously distressed about things and you know we've had to 
uh, I've had to invest a fair bit of time just to either calm them down or allay any fears. And maybe it's the first time that they've come into church in a long time. And so, yep, there, there's that to manage. But again, having that uh, opportunity, sometimes there's a volunteer there where I can say, um, perhaps uh, I'll invite this guest into a, a, an empty office and you'll just manage the front reception. Uh, but I don't always have someone there. So, you know, you have to be aware of that, that that's going to happen. If an outsider is calling to lodge a complaint about something, um, she's probably going to do the front line of, right. of hearing about that, you know. Um, We've had some. There's had never the, been any complaints. Had, had had the we've parish. had a couple of calls in the early days for sure about <laughs> the fact that we had bells that rang in the parking lot. And on Sunday morning, how dare we wake up the neighborhood with bells? With bells. Yeah. At like 9 a.m.? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Once, maybe twice around parking issues in the community. Parking issues. Yeah, that yes. was always fun. <laughs> One time we have someone, some, some person actually parked and blocked someone's driveway or. Anyway, it was kind of embarrassing. We had to really apologize for that one. I, I'm really curious, Darlene, at one point, Rob be, kind of became your boss. He so, did. So, so what was that like? <laughs> what was it like working with Rob? So I've got to ask that question because really what we did at one point when our, when our staff team had grown to, mm-hmm. uh, we actually split uh, into several teams. So you guys were part of the, of the we called you special ops. Oh, yeah. So t- tell us a little bit about what it was like for you to be part of an operations team because I would I would think that that's probably not the the norm for for many parish secretary slash receptionists to be part of an operations team and to be supported directly by mm-hmm. someone who's not the pastor what was what was that like for for you mm-hmm. for you both I, I welcomed the opportunity because I always uh, felt that I was being asked questions about the facility about uh, things that didn't really fall under my desk. And so Rob was, you know, open and, you know, you had clarity with with all of that stuff. And you really did um, keep us in the loop, I think, with all of those things. And we worked, I think, we worked fairly well as a team that was comprised of the finance person, the facilities manager, yourself as director, and myself. Yeah, it was, well, it was challenging in the beginning, I think, Mm. for for me, because I, didn't really know what a director of operations did. Um, and uh, <laughs> I oversaw a team of people who none of their job I could do. Um, you know, every, everybody's was, was very good at their job. So my philosophy was get out of the way, try to let it, let them do it to the best of their ability, support them to the best of my ability, and then help them solve problems when I could. I think, you know, there were certainly a lot of times uh, challenges and things like that that, that you'd face in the midst of it and we'd be sitting there and like, I don't have a clue what the solution to this mm-hmm. is, you know, but we, we, we'd come around like there's a few times where we had some major challenges and uh, as a team, we'd come together and say, okay, all hands on deck to solve this right. issue or solve that problem. And it seemed like there was a really, really great environment of support around Absolutely. the different tasks and what people were doing Absolutely. Uh, and those different things. And so uh, it was, it was from my perspective, it was an easy team to lead because they were very talented, and so my goal was to just stay out of their way as much as possible and try to say yes as often as I could. <laughs> so in office administration at, at, at a parish, my, my perspective, having not done it, and I would be even worse than, at it than you, I think, Rob, <laughs> um, my, my perspective, though, is that it's kind of, it never ends, right? Like there's never, a, you don't have a, it's not like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm wrapped up for the week. It's Wednesday and there's nothing else left to do. It's like the mail, right? It just keeps coming. It, it keeps coming. It keeps coming. So let me ask you this question, Darlene. 
How do you measure success? What does success look like in that role? Well, primarily it's your interactions with people. And of course you do have administrative tasks that you have to complete. Um, I try to be responding to email in a timely manner. Uh, it does help with the, you know, other members of the team who are responsible for key areas. So if that's not my role, then I'm not going to delve into that too far because it's going to take a lot of my energy and time and perhaps still not get the person where the answer that they are, they're looking for. So if it's redirecting stuff, I can do that in a pretty, you know, quick fashion. And that's, that's great. Um, but you have to still be aware of the fact that reports have to be done and things have to be recorded and the emails have to be replied to, you know, and, and it's just a matter of kind of juggling, mm. keeping a lot of balls in the air at times. But I like that. That's part of my personality and mm. that's how I function best. I think I don't like to be bored as Rob knows. <laughs> and, well, but, but one of the things I want to ask you about is, is in, a, in a parish that's being intentional about moving from maintenance to, to mission, one thing is that it, that, that it's, not a, it's never a static reality. And I think most mm-hmm. parishes are never static, but they can, they can be in a particular or orbit. But when you're yes. intentionally moving, uh, the reality is really, really changing. And one of the things we, we discovered is that, that team structures are, are, or who's in what team is not going to be a permanent thing. Your, your job itself is going to, you're going to feel it shifting underneath you as things change. So my, I have two questions for you. Number one is in, when you were in this role, were there times that you felt this, you know, when that, that you could no longer do what was expected of you because it had changed? And how did you know that? And that was number one. And secondly, how did you communicate that to those who were supporting you? Mm-hmm. I can absolutely, you know, picture myself being incredibly um, frustrated at one point. I had a fairly large role to play in the financial piece. And there was a finance manager on staff at the time. Uh, but it was we were working a little bit in the old school model yes. where the secretary slash reception person was still uh, interacting with the counters and the data entry people. And I was still, you know, looking through envelopes and trying to, you know, get them in the right place and get teams of people to come in to enter that. And it was overwhelming. Like, I've never said that finance is my strong suit. And it isn't. Uh, But being responsible for that part of it and trying to manage that, that had to happen uh, in a timely manner, you know, immediately following the counters, right? That data had to be entered we have to keep up to date on that financial reporting. So, and, and, and by the counters, you mean the people who counted the, the collection? They counted yeah. the collection, right? But then we have another team of people, and I was sort of responsible for getting them as well, who would come in and be able to input the data. And if they ran into any technical difficulties, I had to be their troubleshooter and interact with, with that, as well as everything else that's going on at the front desk. So getting, uh, you know, frustrated and overwhelmed with that, I had to be in a position where I said, okay, I have to go to my manager and express that this isn't working and it's not working just, you know, for anyone that we have to re look at why does, why does this align under my position, Mm -hmm. you know, and would it make more sense if it aligned under someone else? And it's not to get out of hard work. 
you know, no, and I, I, th- I think that's that's a key thing. And maybe Rob, I'll get you to com- comment on this because you were su- supporting the team. But the thing is, in a in a shifting parish, in a growing parish, in a parish that's moving, you're gonna you're gonna constantly be re- you know by moving things around all the time. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes you're gonna get it right. Sometimes you're not gonna get right. it right. And we have to have a, a number one a safe place for people to to fail, and then and for it to be safe for people to say, look, you know, this just isn't happening, and I can't do this, and and so, so we need to have a kind of a culture that, that allows for that so that you can constantly reassess and to shift and to try to find mm-hmm. the best structure uh, for that present moment in the life of a parish. Rob, how, what was your sense? You know, you've got, you were trying to support that team in Darlene's key role and, and trying to still keep it primarily about people rather than, than uh, to tasks. How would you balance those things out? Yeah, I mean, one of the things, because, again, coming in as an outsider, because you were on staff and then I mm-hmm. stepped into the role, and there would be times that I'd kind of step back as an outsider, and I'd say, and I'd just say, Darlene, why do you fill in the blank? And it would just be like, well, that was the job that was given to me. So there were some mm-hmm. things that just didn't seem to make sense to me intuitively, and then there's other things that it was history or there was reasons for it and stuff like that. So we early on started having the conversation, okay, what's, what's ideal uh, and not with the idea that we're going to change it that day, but what, what are, where do we need to go to grow into it? Mm-hmm. You know, and so there were, th- there were some tasks that we were able to take off, some tasks when I was there that I hoped we could take off that we didn't in the time I was there. And so that was one of the financial things that, that uh, around that time. And I don't think that was anything I observed. I think you brought that idea to me. Uh, I believe. You know, from that standpoint. And so um, we had gone we were going through a transition in software. We were going through a transition in some other things at that time as well. And it seemed like a good time to offset that in a person's. And, l- and let me ask you a question because, you know, I, I didn't really, I, I didn't directly support Darlene. I directly supported you and you supported her. But in terms of changes like that, there seems to me kind of three categories of change. There would be changes that you guys would work out and you wouldn't even inform me about. There would be changes that you would work out and you might inform me about it when you came for our, our weekly meeting and other changes that you might run by me before you would make them. How, how would you know which is which? Um, I guess it's understanding you and knowing what you care about, first of all, and then understanding. And also what I don't care. About. Yeah. <laughs> what you don't. Right. Not that I didn't care about your job, but the inverse, a, uh, you know, and then, but then what's going to come back on you? Like, what are people going to ask you questions about? Uh, that's that you're going to be able to answer or not answer things like that. So it was kind of that that awareness. I, I don't know if I ever looked at it through that grid. I think mine was probably a little more intuitive or yeah. maybe maybe lacked intuition uh, at some points. But I always tried to keep you. I always tried to keep you a form of where people were at on the team. Mm. And so I think a lot of times you had an awareness. Like I, you know, we'd talk through and say, well. I, Darlene's redlining in this area. At this point, yeah. we don't know what's going to happen, but mm. this is an area that we need to address or so-and-so's mm. struggling in this area. Uh, we talked through it further, and then if we came back a week or two later, <laughs> month or two later, depending on what the timeline was on the transition, um, you know, then I'd inform you of the decision, things like that. Mm. And so trying to look to see. And part of what would affect that sometimes is as you had different team members changing, everybody's job description was right. always changing. So... You know, when when Chris came on the team, Chris's strengths were different than other people, and so Chris took some things on, or whatever that looked like, or whoever was strong. And so I think areas. what I'm hearing though is that, they, and and it's going to lead to a question, Darlene. Like, 
there are different people out there that are listening. I suspect there's people who have similar jobs to you. I think yours is probably pretty unique, especially after hearing the way you've got, you know, you've built this leadership pipeline where you're raising people up. But there are other people that have uh, similar jobs, right? So they're the frontline people, whether they're called office manager, parish secretary, whatever the job title is, right. they're that frontline person, Absolutely. right? And so my, my question to you is if, if, if they're listening right now, if they're listening right now, what are, what are a couple of things that you'd want them to hear? Mm. That it's a great opportunity to uh, witness to people really what Jesus wants us to witness, which is to walk with them, right? To be in a relationship with people. And they have that over probably anyone else in the office more so because they get that initial interaction. So that's one thing. The second thing is, um, you know, we, I, I try really hard not to, uh, to judge why anybody is away from church or why they're not practicing or, you know, even if, you know, they're upfront about some of their beliefs, it's, but this is where we're at right now. This is the conversation we're having right now. So let's start from here because we can't undo past stuff. Mm. Right. And uh, just to be always enjoying what you're doing and, you know, if you're not, and if there's there are stresses out there, there's there's always going to be stress in jobs. We always have to manage different tasks and you know responsibilities and things. But if you are feeling burdened, that's going to show in your interactions with people. So you know, it's important that you would really look at yourself and say, what is it really that's stressing me out? And do I have an opportunity to speak to the person who's supporting me and identify for them, you know, how you think things would be better for the church if if we could help resolve that. One of the things uh, since Divine Renovation Ministry, since we grew too large to, to physically locate still at St. Benedict Parish, one of the things I miss most is your smile in the morning, Darlene. It was always, a, it, was a, it brought a spark of joy to my day. And so it's one Thank of those you. things I desperately miss. But I'm so grateful that you were able to be on this podcast and share a little bit of what how you, how you work inside your ministry and how your ministry makes a difference. So thank you for being with us. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you for joining us. And if you want more of Divine Renovation in your life, I would encourage you to check out our newest book, Unlocking Your Parish, written by Father James. Mellon and Ron Huntley. It is, a, it is an amazing book that will help you mobilize your alphas and make them as successful as they possibly can be. So thank you for being with us and God bless. Thank you.